This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Now, chord progressions can be tough to understand, especially when it comes to jazz harmony, but what if I told you you could make them simple by stripping them down into just three basic categories? Well, that's one thing that we talk about in today's conversation with my special guest, Steve Nixon from freejazzlessons.com. We've had him on the show before, but he's back to grace us with his presence again. You're not going to want to miss this show. That's all coming right up. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? My name is Brent. I am the jazz musician behind the website LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. So psyched, as always, that you're here listening to the show. I appreciate having you. Uh, I always do my best to lay down as much value as I can for you. And uh, today is no exception. Like I said, I have Steve Nixon on the show. We've had him on before. In fact, it's been about a year since we've had him on the show, but he absolutely killed it last time. So I couldn't think of a better person to uh, invite back onto the show. Like I said, we talk about a lot of things. We talk about chord progressions. Uh, We talk about a lot of musical elements, and it's a really interesting and fun conversation. I learned a lot just from talking from him today, as I usually do with all my guests. So I know that you're going to get a lot of value out of this show. Steve also talks a little bit about his new book and course called Play Like Ray. So if you're a piano player and you're interested in playing the music of Ray Charles and playing like his, his sound, his style, you definitely want to listen to the very end where he talks a little bit more about that. Again, Steve is from freejazzlessons.com. So if you also haven't checked out uh, what they got going on there, a lot of good stuff as well. All right, let's not waste any more time. Let's jump into today's talk. All right, we are welcoming back onto the show Mr. Steve Nixon from freejazzlessons.com. Steve, thanks for being back again. Brent, it's such a pleasure to be here again. Good to see you, brother. We had such a good time last time. I think it was actually uh, about a year ago, uh, about a year ago that we did an episode together, which is really awesome. Uh, I, You talked about basically improving your jazz skills and how to do that quickly, which is exactly what we all want to know, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. we learned a ton from you. So I'm excited to learn even more with you today. But first, for those who who don't know who you are, let's just do a little quick, you know, two-minute Steve Nixon bio, what's up with you, what you're doing now, and uh, what you're all about. Absolutely, yeah. So I was a touring musician for 14 years. Um, Got a chance to play with many of my heroes and tour all over the world with some fairly big names. Um, so played full time for many, many years. Um, I sort of started free jazz lessons on a whim in 2011, threw a couple licks up on YouTube 
and and got a lot of response. People told me they enjoyed the licks. And, you know, if you look back at some of our early stuff, I had no idea. I definitely knew what I was doing in terms of teaching and playing, but in terms of camera angles and stuff like that, we really didn't have it together. But, you know, we learned, obviously, over the course, we've been doing this for seven and a half years. But, yeah, threw together some licks on YouTube, threw together a basic website. People started passing it around. I started doing more and more licks, more and more chords. And the site basically took off. It's now perhaps the biggest, if not the biggest jazz piano education website in the whole world at this point, which is super wild considering that in 2011, I was just throwing, you know, some licks on YouTube and showing people some cool Bud Powell stuff that I liked. That is, that's awesome. And I, I, I'm super familiar with your website. Of course, we hang out sometimes. Every once in a while, we, we, we talk it up. Fellow entrepreneurs, you know, kindred spirits in the jazz education world, which is which is a lot of fun, and I appreciate you, and I appreciate you having you on. Oh, and I was looking up the episode. It's it's episode 85. So for those of you listening who, after you listen to this episode, want to get a little more of Steve Nixon, which I know you will, that's going to be uh, learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 85. All right, let's just do another fun question before we jump into some content here, Steve. What do you... I'm trying to think of a funny, a fun question. What do you like to do like outside of music? Like, is there yes. actually such a thing there? Well, I haven't left the piano since 1984. So, but <laughs> in 1983, what I did before I left the piano was we do a lot of yoga, meditation, cook. Uh, I don't cook. I do a lot of the eating. Um, my, <laughs> yeah, my wife, oh my cook, you know, like we'll, we'll hang out and, um, we, I love hanging out in nature, man. Travel, Whew, man, you know, oh, um, man, what's your favorite place to travel to? Well, actually, man, my favorite country outside of the United States is Italy. And so for any of the mm -hmm. Italian people who are listening to this, man, if you guys want to invite me out, man, I'll come out in two seconds and we'll do some music out there, right? We have done a lot of tours out there, man. Just absolutely, absolutely beautiful, beautiful country, man. Brazil is fantastic also, you know, Sao Paulo. Um, i trying to think what else I really liked a lot. Uh, Germany was really cool. I haven't seen a lot of the country before, but like, yeah, Italy, Brazil, and probably Germany is a third. Nice. I'm a huge travel enthusiast too. And actually, you know, one of the best musical advice someone ever gave me, now listen to this really quick. This is before I, this is before I like even went to college, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. I was, I was talking to some musician who is out in Seattle. His name is Bill Anchell. And I asked him, I was just like so intense about the music. I wanted to become a better musician. And I was just like, you know, I was in that phase, right? And so I sent him an email. I was like, oh, hey, Bill, what do I do to get better and blah, blah, blah. And he said something very weird. He was like, yeah, just, uh, you know, one of the things I would suggest to do is, is go travel a little bit. And I was like, well, that's weird. And he, he was like, yeah, because honestly, when you travel and you go see different things, like that's like where inspiration for, for art comes from. Like, you know, you, you can get inspired like because, you know, if you're just in your practice room all the time, I mean, I mean, even if you go, to, if you're going to get inspired going to see other people play, but, you know, sometimes just seeing the world is like actually the best inspiration for, for playing. And actually, a lot of the songs I've written, I've written while I was traveling, which is kind of funny. So true, man. So true. Just the different perspectives, changing your concept of reality, um, your environment, your visual stimulation, everything about it, the way that people talk, the way that people communicate, the culture, everything about it, man. Just getting yourself in a new environment is really, really, really important. Um, you know, it's funny, man. Like, 
Um, obviously, you know, when I was at Berkeley, like, shoot, man, I was obviously joking when I said I haven't left the piano in 19, since 1984, but like, man, I was shedding at Berkeley, like sometimes like six to 10 hours a day. And basically I actually, yeah. for a few years, I was actually like locked at the piano, man. But when I started touring and that was great, that was like a great experience. You can't replace just sitting down and working with your instrument and becoming like best friends with it. Right. But when I started touring, which actually you get a lot less practice time, a lot more performance time, but I just got better from living and experiencing and meeting people. And like you said, just like having that change of perspective, that creativity. Yeah, I, absolutely. hundred percent. Well, hey, that, that actually led to a very musical, a very musical answer there. So that I'm glad, glad I asked that. So tell me about in general, what you're doing what you're doing musically right now like what what are you working on like what, what what is the stuff that you do to like maintain your skills yeah so that's that's a really good question all right so like listen man you know at, at berkeley you know i was i was in my very early 20s okay and so i was gigging i sold women's shoes right um, I had student loans and my parents used to flip me 50 bucks a month. So at that point I thought I was rich, like money was not an issue at all. Right. So I would sit at the piano, like I said, for 10 hours a day. Cause you know, I was in like weird, like sort of like limbo, like utopia student, like, you know, didn't have to worry about money or family or making a living or anything like that. Right. Um, so I could sit at the piano for eight or 10 hours a day and just like shed like crazy. But a lot of it probably was inefficient. Now, as a professional now, I've got tons of responsibility. I'm running this website. I've got a team of people. I've got family. I've got gigs. I've got all this stuff going on. Right, I have to practice a lot smarter than what I used to yeah. practice. So, right now, man, you know, I'll warm up my fingers and I'll do things like that. Right, I'll keep my chops up. But a lot of what I'm doing is transcription, man. But tr- mm-hmm. like key transcriptions, like of phenomenal, phenomenal, world class players, and my. My concept in terms of who I want to solo, it's I, that solo has to emotionally move me, almost like a spiritual experience. And I know this is where I need to go to next. So I'll get in and I'll start really shedding in terms of the transcriptions and rip them apart and things like that. The other thing I do is I will record myself like crazy and analyze what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. I'm not afraid to go to some dark places in my playing and really figure out what the heck is the problems and dig in and really pinpoint what those problems are. So the recording myself stuff, man, analyzing my own playing, the transcription, I'm getting more results out of just doing that which is really a technique that's called deliberate practice. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. It's a concept that was, uh, I think, originated by a psychologist by the name of Kay Anders Erickson, and then Malcolm Gladwell kind of made it famous with the 10,000-hour rule, right? Right. But so this type of of just, you know, transcribing and then getting this immediate feedback from recording myself, man, it's so nutrient-rich. So it allows me to practice less these days because I have less time, man. Yeah. You know what's so funny? I mean, I feel like in so many ways, I mean, you and me are in such a similar space. uh, Because, well, so actually, last episode of the podcast, episode 130, 136? Yeah, I'm loose track of this podcast sometimes. 136, I actually, all I did was listen to a recording of myself that I found from 2011, so seven years ago from this wow, recording, wow. and listen back to it with the intention of like finding what I liked that I was hearing in my playing, and also, you know, obviously what I didn't like, 
And then also looking at it and being like, you know, oh, here's a problem that still exists in my plane today. Mm. And that's such a powerful practice. Uh, so it's actually kind of cool. I mean, I really thank all the listeners for just letting me spend the time listening to my own recording. Um, I also did, oh, back another episode, I did a maintenance practice session, episode 127, where I literally woke up and it was podcast recording day. And, you know, I owe it to these to my listeners, of course, they're listening to just give the best I could. And I was being a little selfish. And I just literally did like a 20 minute maintenance practice session because I was like, I don't have time to practice. Like I, I need to get, I need, I need to get some practice in right now, but I have to do this podcast. And actually everybody loved that episode a lot. So I'm really happy that that turned out that way. But it, it sounds like you're doing me. all those things. Well, so it's funny. And for people listening to this episode, like, like, you know, a small percentage of people are like, man, this guy is self-indulgent, man. He's just like shedding and like we got to listen to him. But like you're missing it. You are absolutely missing it. When you listen to a professional like Brent play, man, who's a great player and a great teacher and has really devoted his life to this art form, the way he solves his musical problems, if you sit down and actually listen and study how he's solving you know, a fingering problem or a legato problem or a rhythm problem or a voicing problem, whatever the specific musical elements you have, and you can take that lesson and apply it to your own your own concepts, your own things in your playing. There's so much gold there, man. So that's that's awesome. So for people listening, man, dig into that episode. Yeah, I love what you said. Actually, you said problem solving. That that in my mind is really what becoming a better musician in in general. Whether you're trying to figure out jazz or at pretty much any style. It's really about problem solving, right? I mean, and so part of that comes with like honesty, right? Like you have to, you look at what you're, where you're at, like your, your strengths, your weaknesses, you know, kind of like I was talking about earlier and you're just problem solving, right? So like you're just one by one going through, okay, hey, look, my, I rush, my time sucks. I need to work on that. Okay. Then you spend some time working on that. Oh man, I, I really have a time, hard time improvising over one, six, two, five chord progressions. All right, I should probably learn some language over top of that. Or, man, I really can't navigate my instrument very well. Oh, okay, I should probably start working on like trying to stretch the range of my instrument. You know what I mean? Like, it's all about problem solving. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are very afraid to do that. You know, playing an instrument can be a very vulnerable space, right? Like, for some reason, it can really sort of hit our ego and it feels very vulnerable. Oh my God, like, if I. You know, if I play this lick bad, man, I'm a horrible human being. And like, if you screw up at many other things in your life, you wouldn't have that sort of visceral, emotional fear or reaction or ego. But when it comes to playing, a lot of times it's a very sort of scary experience to dig in, right? So one of the best things you can do is just try your best to separate yourself. Just pretend like you're listening to someone else and don't use language like, well, that sucked. Okay, I don't know how to fix that. Sucked. But if you can narrow down specifically what the problem is, measure four going into measure five, I completely missed that chord change. Why did I miss that chord change? Well, it came down to the fact that I don't really know the chord progression there or my fingering was not efficient, right? Or the fact that like my thumb, you know, if I'm a guitar player is too high on the neck or whatever the particular issue is, right? Um, you know, my, my right hand tightened up or, you know, like something along the lines of like, I forgot how the melody relates to the chord change there or I'm just not comfortable improvising on diminished chords. If you can get to the specific of what that is, as opposed to just saying, I suck, 
You know, I hear that all the time from students like, oh, that, that was horrible. Well, I don't know how to fix horrible, but I do know how to uh, fix very specific musical elements. And as you mentioned, when you dig into those very specific musical elements, they're oftentimes a microcosm for a thousand other things in your playing. Right. Which which can be intimidating if you if you well so I mean I've mentioned this book before on the podcast before I don't know if you've ever read it before Steve it's uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck it's, I have not uh, but I'm gonna oh, buy great, it after this interview I'll tell you that much yeah yeah check it out so I'll link that up in the show notes today too as well for everybody listening and so yeah she she talks about in that book I mean she's a psychologist and so she talks about a range of different. Uh, topics, you know, like, you know, whether it's, you know, in your business, in your, you know, your, your personal life and, you know, all these things, but all of them are so applicable to music. It's just ridiculous because, you know, she talks about um, the growth, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And so the fixed mindset says, uh, I'm never going to get this. I'm just not talented enough. Or, you know, I've reached the limit of how good I could possibly be. And, you know, we all we all have that pretty much everybody, I mean, except for like the very exceptional few default on the fixed mindset, right? Mm. Like we think to ourselves, I'm just never going to be able to play the, you know, bebop lines like so and so. I'm just like, the, you know, compare yourself to some other musician that you like. I'm never going to be able to improve as quickly as I want to. I'm never going to be able to play at a jam session i'm never gonna be able to play to get like we have these thoughts in our head that say you know this is only as good as it can get because or you know also when i hear from a lot of people is i'm too old i'm too old oh, to do man. this oh. right? I, I i don't know about that you know i i don't know about that because I've, I've i've seen a lot of different success stories that lead me to believe that's that's just not true um so yeah i mean we, we come with those fixed mindsets but the growth mindset says you know, let's say you absolutely bombed on a gig, and I'm pretty sure we've all done that before, or we bombed on something. And then the growth mindset says, and this is hard, hey, I just, that sucked. <laughs> but <laughs> there it is, yeah. But like now I actually realized it's that problem solving thing. I just realized something that I actually need to work on or fix. It, it's more of an optimistic outlook, right? It, you know, it's, 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 it's more of looking at every single situation negative or positive as an opportunity to grow and i mean have you ever related to that in your life oh before? man completely man completely and you know when i was first introduced to that concept i was like oh that's some kind of like new age bs type stuff man like you know rose colored glasses but like i am 100 positive it works man everything in my life in terms of success has come like has come from basically figuring out what was good, what wasn't good, and then working on the stuff that wasn't as good and getting it to the level where it was just as good as all the other stuff, right? Um, I'll I'll tell you a very quick story, man. So one of my musical strengths is my ear, right? Like, you know, we all have certain things that we have going on. And basically, I can hear almost any recording at this point and like just play it back right away. Okay, great. Like, you know, Steve, that's amazing, man. You're born with this talent. I was not born with that talent. That's the thing. When I was in high school, I used to think I had what they call a tin ear, which is that you can't hear anything, right? But, you know, if I had this sort of like fixed mindset of just like, I can't do this, then like, you know, I, I, I never would have worked on it. But I finally one day I was like, you know what, I'm just going to like work on this thing. So I started doing some really basic sort of soul fedge exercises, ear training. I don't even want to call it 101, man. What's below 101? 
you know, you're trading 100 or whatever. You're trading, you know, like negative 12, right? And all of a sudden, man, like I just started working on it. And then and then I could like hear a couple intervals. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I thought I had a 10-year, right? And then like worked on a little bit more. And all of a sudden I can start hearing thirds. And then, you know, just the fact of working on it just opened up all these doors. So you never really know what you can do. But if you limit yourself, like what's that? I'm going to paraphrase here. What's that, what's that for, like quote from Henry Ford? Something like, um, whether or not you think you can or you can't, you're right. You know, so, right. but, but if I had just been like, oh, I have a 10 year, like I'll never get better at this, then I wouldn't have like unlocked this potential within myself, right? It was there. Now, was it my talent? Was it my hard work? I do not care. It literally does not matter. What matters is that I just can do it. And that's really what matters, you know? And so nothing is ever fixed. You know, if you can learn how to speak, you know, jazz is a language. If you can learn how to speak, you can learn how to play this instrument and learn how to play it well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one thing I also, you know, kind of just keep going with this for a second is thinking about like music in general as this journey, as this path, you know, in, in, a, in a journey like, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even say it has an end destination, but it's just kind of like, you know, you're just continually moving somewhere. Right. And to enjoy every single part of that. Right. Cause you know, when we go on, a, we were just talking about traveling earlier. Like right? when you go on a trip, um, what was a recent trip I went on? Oh, I did this great trip where I went to, well, me and my wife, we flew to Vegas for like half a day. Then we went to Zion National Park. Then we went to, this is in Utah, right? And then we went to Bryce Canyon National Park. Then we swung down to Arizona, went to the Grand Canyon. Then we went into California, went to Joshua Tree. And then we ended in Los Angeles for several days. I mean, it's a pretty epic journey. <laughs> wow. There's a lot of driving involved. But you know, every single place stop along the way like had its own unique things. It was like, wow, man, that was, that was cool. You know, and that's kind of what music should be like too. It's like, you know, it's not necessarily about, you know, Los Angeles was not the, I mean, I love Los Angeles, but it wasn't the ultimate, you know, destination of my life or anything. It was just like, oh, cool. You know, I'm going here and that eventually we're going to end up in Los Angeles. And every single place along the way was something cool and interesting. And if we can learn to think about music more like that, man, that would be awesome. Because often the times we, we, we think of it, we think of it as we, there's this end destination where, you know, one day I'm going to be the best, I mean, for me personally, the best guitar player ever. Well, I'm not the best guitar player in the world. <laughs> so, I mean, there's always gonna be someone better too. So if I think of it more as like a, a personal thing, like a personal record sort of a thing where I'm just continually moving forward. I don't know. I think that's just more of a healthy way to think about it. The process is the thing. It is the only thing. It is not the destination itself because you're going to get there, right? And, you know, I've achieved several, like, what I thought was going to be, like, the dream scenario throughout my life in terms of playing or career or whatever, right? Like, I dream of this and I work really hard and I got there and it was cool. Don't get me wrong. But, like... You know, man, like a couple weeks later, I was like ready to do the next thing, you know, and it's like, it's like, wait, I thought that was going to be the thing. Like there's something else after that. And after a while, man, you do this for, you know, many, many, many decades, you realize it's just the process itself is the thing, man. You know, like Brent, like you're not Charlie Christian, right? And that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing, right? Like, or, or you know, you're not West Montgomery. And if, if you're trying to be, and I'm not saying, of course, you are, but I'm saying this for anybody listening, right? Like, if you're trying to be West Montgomery, there already was a West Montgomery, man, but you can be the absolute best version of yourself, whatever that is. You know what I mean? 
And yeah. we owe it to the universe to find whatever our best version of ourselves is so we can let our own musical voice out, man. You know, because like I said, there already was a Wes Montgomery, you know, but we have really interesting, fascinating things to say, as well as instrumentalists and as players, as musicians. We just have to work to let that out and access it. All right, Steve, listen, we're going to start, you know, I've just decided we are going to start a self-help podcast. You know, everybody quit your therapy sessions. It's over. <laughs> all right. All you need to, all you need to do is listen to me and Steve talk about, oh my God. Awesome. No, actually, that was all really good. I actually think that's great stuff. And I actually, I like talking about this stuff often on this podcast. If you've been listening for a while, because I mean, playing music is, we all look like, what's the next coolest lick? What's the next this? What's it? A lot of it is mindset. And th- mm. that's what I've learned. A lot of it is mindset. Mm-hmm. But, you know, switch it, switching gears a little bit, let's talk about chord progressions a little bit, Steve, because l- let's move from the emotional to the more technical. A lot of my students, a lot of people on, I'm sure in your audience too, they want to know how to improvise and they want to know how to, you know, explore jazz harmony better. So why don't you share with us some tips uh, that you like to teach on moving through chord progressions. Yeah, man, let's do it. All right, so first thing I want to do here, I want to help people simplify the concept of chord progressions as an overall whole. You know, when you start looking at all these forums and all these different, you know, YouTube videos and all the like mountain of kind of like mediocre content out there. And yes, I said mediocre, but that's a whole other story for another time, right? <laughs> and if you don't know this lick, you know, you're, you're complete trash. And so there's just tons and tons of musical information is out there, right? So how do you sift through the noise of all this stuff? How do you organize all this stuff that you may be reading you know like when i was first learning man like i used to i used to just buy book after book after book after book and like you know how does this all like apply to you know how can you simplify and organize all this information well here's a beautifully simple way of organizing basically every chord progression in tonal music okay hit me they feature three types of chords either a tonic chord a subdominant chord or a dominant chord. So when you listen to box music, okay, you can basically break down the chord progressions into some sort of tonic, subdominant, dominant. Beethoven, same type of thing. Rubeck, right? Or your favorite, my favorite, Justin Bieber, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like basically, man, everybody, everything, everybody that plays in tonal music is using just basically tonic, subdominant, dominant. Now they do different variations of chords in there, but if you can organize mentally that everything is either some sort of tonic chord, subdominant chord, or dominant chord. Once you start organizing there, this is really how you can start, you know, when you acquire new vocabulary and you can organize it in this sort of file box, this is how you start doing substitutions and cool stuff like that. Okay. So we do have a range of different, you know, levels of musicianship here. Let's quickly just define tonic, dominant, and subdominant, what exactly that means. Absolutely. So if I start with you, man, I'm actually kind of close to the piano. I'll just play a little bit. So we'll be Go in the G if you guys want to kind of sit your instruments or if you want to sit in Starbucks or wherever you're hanging out. It doesn't matter. I'll play a little bit for you guys. Okay, so we'll be in the key of G here, right? Now, basically what it is here, if I have just basically a G major scale, right? Well, it's a one chord is going to be really just the chord built off of the first degree of the scale. So in this case, if we're in the key of G, we're going to have a G major chord, right? Or if we're in more of a jazz setting, it would be like a 
you know, G major seven chord, right? So this is traditionally what we think of as as a tonic sound, right? Now, there are some small little variations that we can do for tonic. We'll get into there in a little bit, but just understand basically it's sort of a one chord stable type sound, right? So that's tonic. Now, subdominant is really just sort of a transition chord. It sets us up for this big, powerful five dominant that happens at the end. You know, we're sitting on five right that's dominant and in between that power of that dominant we have the subdominant which is a passing chord it's a set of chords so we'd have something like that's my subdominant chord mm. can you hear that okay or uh, some sort of four chord you know one four and then we go into a five so you hear that that passing four there it's a setup in between the power of that one and five, our dominant chord, right? And again, just to be clear here, dominant is usually gonna be built off of some sort of fifth scale degree, the chord that's built off of that. And it really needs to be resolved. There's a story about Leopold Mozart, who was Mozart's father, it's supposedly like, he used to wake him up in the morning by like basically like running through some chord progressions and then he would sit on a five chord. So, you know, he'd be something like, you know. And he's laying on the leaning tone on the five and Mozart couldn't take it. And he'd rush out of bed and, you know, suddenly just run over the piano, you know. <laughs> Could, right, because it's, it's it the tension the, release, you know. Exactly, exactly. So if you can organize your harmony, everything, even the most advanced stuff in terms of the, just this tonic, subdominant, dominant, this is how we start building, you know, this incredible vocabulary of chord progressions. You, you tracking so far, my friend? Yeah, so the subdominant, I mean, you used the two chord as an example. I'm pretty sure I heard you do that and use the four chord as an example, Right. Awesome. So, so where do we go from here? What happens next? I mean, so we have these three categories, right? So we have tonic, we have subdominant, we have dominant, and you're saying that we can take all chord progressions and just lump them into those three categories. Basically, yes. Can I can I show you a couple examples of what I mean by this? Please. All right. So let's say again, we'll stay in in the key to G here. Okay. Let's say that we have a traditional chord progression like a one. Six two five one. You know, big chord progression in a lot of different styles of music, but especially in jazz, like in our turnarounds and our blues and things like that, right? So we have some sort of G chord, right? And then we have six, which is E minor, A minor seven, which is our two, and then our five. So here's let's look at this, okay? So we have G, okay? This is our one. The six is still considered a one or a tonic sound. Now, why is that? Well, basically, if you look at it here, okay, the notes of a G chord and the notes of an E minor seven chord are basically the same thing, okay? They both have a G chord in there. This is a substitution, a simple substitution, but it's still a tonic sound. So substitution 101, right, in terms of, you know, just organizing tonic, subdominant, dominant, is finding these common notes and chords saying, hey, I, this is pretty close. This is going to be a substitution, right? So right. 
one G, right? Six is still considered a tonic sound, right? A minor seven, which is your two, that's your subdominance, right? And then we have our five D seven, and then we resolve back into our G, our tonic, right? Now that's simple, right? Right. Not the most complex thing in the world, right? But if we want to now say, hey, you know what? All right, cool. This is all just, again, tonic, subdominant, dominant. Well, what's the next thing I can do? Well, here's a real simple way to sort of the next level of reharmonizing it. We'll get more complex as we go here. But basically, one of the things you can do is you can say, listen, okay, we've got a one chord again, our G6, our tonic sound. Well, you can make the six chord dominant. Okay, as opposed to minor. We've got this real cool pull here back into the two. Secondary right. dominant. Yes, sir. Sec exactly. <laughs> Secondary dominant, right? And again, this works because it's all still, even with a secondary dominant, still tonic, subdominant, dominant, right? So we could do G6, E7, and I have a sharp nine on top, right? Right. To, to our friend uh, Ray Charles and Jimi Hendrix, right? A minor seven, right? And then we have our... D7, so just that small little variation. Same thing as we had before. Here's E minor 7, A minor 7, D7, as opposed to this. Right. Simple. So secondary, so secondary dominant. Um, let, let's just really quickly, in case someone isn't familiar with that, um, missed that episode. <laughs> the, sec, secondary dominant, this is the way I like to think about secondary dominant. Tell me if you agree with this, uh, Steve. Secondary dominant is basically like, when you when they say secondary dominant, it's basically you are insinuating that another chord in the diatonic key center. So in the case of G, in the key of concert G, A minor is the two chord. But if you're approaching it with an E7 or E7 flat 9, sharp 9, whatever alteration, it makes the sound to the listener that that E7, it, it is still a 6 chord of, of G, but it also is acting as a 5 chord going into the 2 chord. So it's almost like you have this 5-1 relationship, yet it's still 6-2, but it's more about what it makes the listener feel the sound is. How Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. No, that's a really good way of explaining it. Another way to sort of simplify this concept is basically you can play the five of any chord right before that, and that's going to be considered what we call a secondary dominant. And and really, it's just that five-one relationship is the most fundamental pull in music, that five. Remember, Leopold Mozart, Mozart couldn't take it, right? He had to get out of bed and resolve that chord, right? It's that same type of concept there. And that's what the E7 is. It's really just a pull into our A minor, which is our subdominant. So I literally love the way that you put it, right? That's a great way of putting it. Sweet. Yes, I love this. This is great. I mean, yeah. still, as, as we're seeing, it's still just all tonic, subdominant, and dominant relationships. Absolutely. Basically. Can I can I show another one now? No. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, 
thanks for the permission, brother. I appreciate it, man. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right, so check this out, right? So another common chord progression that we see in jazz is the three, six, two, five, one. Now, if you don't know anything about music theory, one, six, two, five, one and three, six, two, five, one are completely different animals, but they're really not. They're the same thing. So again, let's figure out why. Okay, so we have a key of G here, right? Okay, we have a G major chord. I'm gonna throw a major seventh on there. Okay, and I'll even throw a nine on there. So we have the notes G, B, D, F sharp, A, right? Well, cool, check this out, all right? If I take the G off this chord, all right, this is the notes B, D, F sharp, and A, which all together is a B minor seven chord. Now, if we go up the scale of, in terms of chords in the key of G, here's the G major seven. Now the two chord is A minor seven, three chord is B minor seven. So basically what it is, is that three and one are the same thing. Again, the same substitution concept that we saw before when I said G major and E minor were the same thing, right? Similar notes. And so interesting concept right there. We have a three chord and we understand this is just a tonic sound, right? Mm. Okay. So what you want to do Okay, and write this down in your notebook, people who are listening to this, right? Anytime you find a chord that has many common notes, okay, that's going to be a substitution type chord, right? So go through your instrument, find these common tones, and just organize your mind. As a matter of fact, grab a notebook and just start organizing things as here's a tonic chord, here's a subdominant chord, here's a dominant chord, and start organizing that almost in a filing cabinet, right? Okay, so the three chord, like I said, this is the same thing as one. It's a tonic sound, right? Now, we could at this point after three go into our E minor like we had before, our E7. Again, still substitutions, right, for our tonic sound, going into A minor, which is our subdominant, and then our five, right? So we know that, right? All I did, the only thing I did was just put B minor as that first chord there, right? Can I, can I, can I give a, a little bit of value to your audience right now, man? Can I give another substitution? Lay, lay down, lay it down, Steve. Lay All down. right, brother. Here is a, another <laughs> very, very, very cool concept, right? So if we know... Okay, we know that E minor is just, you know, our, our tonic sound. Well, what are some substitutions we can do for some sort of E bass note? Well, how about a B flat seven? What the heck is that coming from, Steve, right? What, what does that mean? Well, follow me here, okay? If I want to set up my subdominant sound, well, basically what I can do is I can play a chord a half step higher of my resolution chord. A lot of people know this as a, as a tritone substitution, right? Right. And so what I can do is I can play B minor 7, which is my tonic sound, again, substitution for G, right? B flat 7. Which is a sub, oh yeah, oh yeah, which is a substitution for our E7, right? Back into our A minor, into our D7. Okay, so listen to this chord progression. Okay, that's still tonic, subdominant, dominant. It's very different than just the. 
started with earlier. Now we have. Totally different. And totally different. Totally different, man. Totally, totally different. But again, still just tonic, subdominant, dominant. And I know I've said this about 18 million times in this interview so far, but dude, I'll keep saying it, man, because it's such a powerful concept. Yeah, I love how you're simplifying everything. I even love how you just brought it down and just said, like, oh, yeah, just a half step up from that too. Whatever chord you're arriving from, that's going to be the tritone sub of, of that five chord. And, and just quickly for everybody, in case you're just like, well, I don't understand. Why does that work? Essentially, if you're doing that tritone sub, right, uh, you're subbing the B flat seven or B flat whatever for the E seven, Basically, it's going to sound like you have a super altered E7 chord, you know, you know, sharp fives, you know, all, all that flat 13s, all that stuff is going to be in there. That's what it's going to sound like. It's going to have a lot of tension and then release, right? The bass note, the, the tritone subject implies the bass note is essentially a B flat, right? That's what yep. all it's really saying. Yeah, so. yep, exactly. And the reason why that works is because they have the same third and seven so for example on yes. an e7 chord right g sharp and d right this is the third g sharp and e7 d is the flat seven right well if i just take those the third and seven right and just lay that down and then throw a b flat root on the bottom guess what those two notes we had before that were the third and seven of the e7 now they're the seventh and third of b flat so we have b flat a flat is the you know, same thing as the g sharp right here's our flat seven and then d is our third right it's the same thing sounds like right. halloween music right <laughs> so it's exactly why i and we also i mean the fancier name for that is just the, we call them guide tones the third and seventh in in, in, in typical ha- harmony the reason i always preach that is for the exact reason you're what you're doing right now steve is that when you can figure out those really important inner working parts of the chord and how they voice lead together and when i say voice leading i just mean connecting from one chord to the another chord melodically you've really got the, a lot of the secret sauce right there because then, yeah, you want to do a tritone substitution? Fine. It's, I mean, you're, you still have the same guide tones in there. Those guide, they call them guide tones because they're guiding you through the harmony, right? And then you can throw whatever you want in there. Absolutely. Now, just to check in again with, with some of the students who are listening to this and say, man, this is like, this is like way past my theory chops, man. Like, dude, I just started playing like what's going on. Right. Again, just simplify this. All this sort of quote-unquote advanced concepts, all we're doing is just doing variations on tonic, subdominant, dominant, right? Nothing different, right? It's just all just little, hey, let's let's throw this slight little flavor in here. It's, it's almost like um, variations like, hey, I want to make a, a, a meal spicy. Well, there's like 20 different you know spices or hot sauces or peppers you can put in there, but they're all just spicy. Right. And so basically what we're doing, man, is we're talking variations on hot sauce. Right. It's just a simple concept. Yeah, I'm tracking, man. I mean, you know, your food, you just you just professed earlier. You're a professional food eater. I'm so, a profe- like, I'm, I will eat all day, every day. It's amazing. I'm not <laughs> 700 pounds, man. Although the next time you see me, man, I really could be. Uh, I, what's the secret? What's the You know, let's 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 digress for a second. What is the secret to your in, insane physique? <laughs> wow <laughs> insane physique insane physique yeah yeah, yeah. uh i am lean i am lean i will tell you that much but i am i, I definitely don't have an, an insane physique so actually i did something a little different 
like than most people. I don't eat any red meat and I haven't eaten red meat in, oh man, how many years? Probably 19, 20 years, right? So, and also I do eat carbs, but I don't eat them until the evening. So I basically just eat fruits, vegetables, and super lean meat until I'm done working for the day. And that's basically worked where I have very low body fat, man. And I can like sit and work for like 10 hours straight and just focus, man. You know? Wow. Dang. That's actually, wow. See what I need to do. See, I exercise a lot, but I totally don't, I don't do any of that stuff. You just said, I'll work on it. I'm going to work on that. Amen. Anyways, we all got stuff to work on, man. Amen. This is a this is another podcast episode. Again, it's going to be in our new self help podcast that we're going to start <laughs> inevitably. <laughs> Maybe we can get Deepak Chopra as the uh, as the third person in there, man. That would be great. I think we need a special. Yeah, we need a special third leg. I think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh man, awesome, dude. Well, okay, awesome. Is there anything else you want? I mean, as far as core progression goes, getting getting back on track, which was totally my fault for getting off track there. Uh, as far as core progression goes, I think that simplifies things so much. And even for me, who has, I obviously understand harmony inside and out pretty well, this is really helpful to hear that everything is so simple. Because when we just make it more complicated than it needs to be, on a recent podcast episode, I talk about 10 myths uh, about playing jazz, you need to stop believing. And one of them was that you have to know a ton of music theory. Y- you don't. You can start with just a little bit, just a little bit of stuff that we just talked about here, and all of a sudden start uncovering a plethora of other things. I, I love that. I love yeah. everything you're saying. I love how you're making things simple. That's because you're an amazing teacher. Uh, and is there anything else you want to say about these core progressions? Yeah, man. So here's the thing. Okay. So I gotta, I gotta give credit where credit's due in terms of really where I started figuring this stuff out because, you know, I was overwhelmed by all this information as well. You know, how do you simplify it? But, you know, going back to sort of what we were talking about in the beginning of, of the podcast in terms of transcribing and things like that, right? The people I listened to who really had this stuff together, where I sort of had my aha moments, were people like Ray Charles, right? Yes. George Shearing was another person who I listened to who had this stuff together, right? Even Bud Powell, and he's a little bit more advanced, but like, you know, actually, man, it was, it was Ray. It was Ray. This is the guy because he he do all this stuff. You know, sometimes you'd hear him, you know, like just totally rip on a one, four, five chord progression. And then you'd hear him do songs like I Want a Little Girl, which is really like complex, like dense harmony, jazz straight up. Right. Um, you'd hear him doing like, you know, it's really hip sort of bebop things. Well, he could just sort of just go in all these different directions. Did a country album, man. And a lot of what he was doing, this vocabulary, the reason you could just sound great in all these different styles is because he understood this concept of harmony as well. And when I saw him doing the same type of stuff in all these different genres and all these different type of things, I said, light bulb moment. Wow, man, it's the same type of stuff. It's not that he's like spent 18 trillion years learning all these different styles. It's because he understands music and harmony. Right. So Ray, so Ray is really your guy. That's where you've gotten a lot of stuff from. Let, let me tell you this, man. I've had some phenomenal teachers over the years, man. People like one of my mentors, Bruce Katz, right? And, and just, just 
you know, I, I've been very, very blessed to have some great mentors. Right. But, but like I would, I probably, um, man, I'd be, I'd be selling, selling, uh, used shoes on the side of the street, man. <laughs> you know, if, if it wasn't for Ray, man, if I hadn't figured out what Ray is doing, studying Ray absolutely changed my life. I was really, really, really sort of overwhelmed with the amount of information I had to learn, you know, like, you know, I, I'm like kind of known as the jazz guy online because of all the free jazz lessons and all the gigs and things like that. But like, dude, I've done a lot of rock gigs and funk gigs and blues gigs and like country gigs and soul gigs and new age and gospel. Like I'm into it all, man. If it's got soul, I'm into it. Right. And has conviction. I'm, I'm, I'm totally cool with playing it. Right. And, but when I, decided that I wanted to like get good at all these different styles. I was overwhelmed. I'm like, how do I do this, man? Like, how do I sit down and, and like, you know, do I just like, like transcribe for a hundred years of my life and never see my family. Right. But basically studying Ray was the shortcut for this process, man. This is where like everything sort of changed for me once I got into Ray. Right. So everything that so you're, I appreciate you speaking about, you know, where you're, you know, a big part of your education, everything that, I mean, you come out with on freejazzlessons.com is gold. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing material, you know, for, for piano players, of course, but then also even outside of that too. And knowing that you like Ray, I also know that you have an awesome, excellent new product coming out for basically all the stuff you're talking about with learning how to play like Ray Charles. So I love for you to talk about that because I only suggest things to my audience that I believe will help them and have not a shadow of a doubt that this would be something they that's that, that there would be people that are interested in this. So why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Yeah, I appreciate it, brother, man. That makes me feel good. Thank you for the very kind words. So yeah, I mean, really, the only thing with, with learning from Ray is that I really, really, really made a commitment to the process. And it was extremely painful, you know, to like sit down and learn all this stuff. A lot of times it was hard to hear the parts on recording, you know, Ray's, Ray's a bad man. And, you know, a lot of times they'd be sort of buried between the big band. And so I had to like really dig in and learn these parts and just, just spend a ton of time getting into this Ray stuff. And it's hard for a lot of people to really just dig into this unless they have a great ear or a ton of time through the day, you know, to get into it. There's a couple like transcription books out there, but they're not accurate, man. And you don't really get into the mind of what this guy is doing. Right. And it's something that absolutely needed to be in there, man, because Ray is maybe one of the most definitive, if not the piano player of the 20th century, man. Like, you know, without Ray Charles playing so much of what we do at piano and contemporary music wouldn't exist. So I wanted to create a course that actually set like broke down step by step what Ray does in all these different genres, you know, in gospel in blues, in country, in jazz, in New Orleans styles. I wanted to show people how Ray played, how he thought, right? So I actually got together with my mentor, Bruce Katz, who's in the Blues Hall of Fame. He was my mentor at the Berkeley College of Music. And the reason why I partnered with Bruce, not only is he just a phenomenal, phenomenal virtuosic player and teacher, but Bruce was actually um, David Fathead Newman, who was that iconic you know, sax player mm -hmm. took all the solos on Ray's iconic recording. Like, you know, mm -hmm. Bruce was 
uh, David's keyboard players playing all the Ray parts when they go on tour and stuff like that. So Bruce is considered by many people like, you know, one of the most authoritative people on Ray. So we got together and we put this course together. It's actually called Play Like Ray, and we're actually releasing it on October 22nd. 2018 on freejazzlessons.com. Really, really, really excited about this. Awesome. That's coming up quite soon from the time that this podcast is uh, this podcast episode is going to be published. So awesome. So w- where for those who are interested in this, and uh, I know if you if you are into Ray Charles, or even if you are a piano player, and you really want to get inside of this stuff, where can people find this when it does come out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So go to freejazzlessons.com. So when we launch courses, I always want to give a ton of value to the community. You know, I come from the school of thought that a product launch should be sort of like a party, you know, like it should be a celebratory thing, like where people are having a good time. So we release little mini samples and turn them into lessons. I just want to give as much value to the community musicians out there as possible, right? So right away, if you go on the site, you're going to see lots of little course samples and mini lessons in there, right? But once we release on October 22nd, we've got a little launch special going on with some cool prizes and things like that. You know, we really want to create this buzz for the first week. And then so from October 22nd through October 28th, we've got this cool launch thing going on at freejazzlessons.com for Play Like Ray. And then they can get the course anytime after that. But if you really want to get into this, I would recommend that you pick up a copy that first week. Man, we're really going to be making sure that it's like just an incredible value for the audience. That's so awesome. 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 And I love that, that, that attitude that's really in line with the spirit of what we do here at Learn Jazz Standards is uh, all that good stuff. And I really appreciate you, Steve. Uh, I, I hope everybody get, goes and checks that out learn at freejazzlessons.com um, when that comes out. And I, I do appreciate you being on, Steve. We had a fun time today, despite all the shenanigans that went down. I this was the still- craziest podcast interview I've ever done, man. But maybe one of the most fun ones. We went in like so many different directions, man. It was it was awesome. Okay, I l- listen. I think I have to get a testimonial fr- from you on that for my podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'm happy to do craziest it. podcast I've ever been a part of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Award-winning testimony. All right, Steve. Thanks again. I listen. I have a feeling we're gonna have you back on in the future, but I really appreciate you taking the time today. Brent, thank you so much. And for the community of LearnJazzStandards.com, always a pleasure hanging out with you guys. You guys rock. You guys swing. You guys bebop, whatever the heck you want to say there, man. Um, <laughs> it's uh, I love contributing. And uh, keep playing, guys. Keep working on your talent, man. And I cannot wait to share music with you further. All right. That's all for today's show. Really thanks again to uh, Steve Nixon for being a special guest, for joining us, laying down all that value. Really appreciate him. I know you got a lot of that, too, as much as I did. So big special thanks to Steve Nixon. All right. Hey, as I always ask, if you got some value of this podcast episode or this podcast in general, of course, just leave a rating and review on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening service. Give a, a positive, uplifting note. I read every single one of these. really means a lot to me. But more importantly, it just helps other people realize that this is a great show to listen to as well and uh, get as much value as you do every single time you listen. So go ahead, over, do that. It's really simple, really fast. I do appreciate it. All right. Hey, we got more guests coming up uh, in the future. I know it had been a little while since we had a guest there. We have more. Don't worry. They're they're coming. Uh, But I'll see you next week for another episode of the LJS Podcast. See you back then. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. 
Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.